all about the fact that God loves us to the point of pain, that God was willing to send his son to become one of us at Christmas time, Emmanuel, God with us. We've been um, carefully looking at the Old Testament prophet Isaiah because 750 years before Christmas, God was very carefully revealing what would happen so that nobody would miss it. And we see that there are a number of different promises that God makes hundreds and hundreds of years before that we don't want to miss. Because even as the kids sang, Christmas can come and go, and people can totally miss what God intended Christmas to actually be. And so there's a number of promises connected to Christmas. One of those promises is this. Every time you say the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you're talking about a promise that God makes that this Jesus is going to come back someday. He's going to reign in this world. He's the king over all kings. And there is coming a day when life will be what it was meant to be when God first created it. Everything that we hate about life will be reversed. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more broken relationships. There'll be a world the way God intended it to be before sin came into the world and ruined it. In Isaiah chapter 35, he talks about that time like this. I couldn't help but think about this as um, Anne was sharing about, you know, blind kids and starting a, an orphanage and a, and a clinic for blind children. Here's what God says, Isaiah 35. He says, say to those with fearful hearts, and I don't know, if you project into the future and think about our world, you might have a little bit of fear. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, don't fear. Your God will come. He's coming back. Your God will come, and he will come with a vengeance and divine retribution, but he will also come to save you. And that's exactly what the rest of the Bible goes on to reveal. And then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth from the wilderness, streams in the desert. The burning sand will become like a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs, and the ransomed of the Lord will return. And they will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Can I tell you, if you don't miss Christmas, and you understand this promise connected to Christmas, your life will fill with hope. There is a bright future, a fantastic future connected to Christmas that God promises us. A second thing about Christmas is that there's a sovereign God. You don't want to miss that behind Christmas is the sovereign God of the universe who has been meticulously planning all of history to that moment uh, up until Christmas for Christ to come into this world. And uh, starting way back in the book of Genesis, and God's plan was carefully orchestrated thousands of years, and it began with his choice of a man named Abraham. You might recognize that name from the Bible. You know, there are a lot of great people in the Bible. You, you know, you might never be a, a great leader like Moses. You know, Moses led that whole group of slaves and, and they became a nation. And, and, and you might never be a great leader like, like Moses. And, and think of Daniel, great prophet of God. 
spoke to us about what's to come. You and I, we might never be like Daniel or Nehemiah who was called to rebuild a whole city. But can I tell you, do you know what Abraham's claim to fame is? And there's more space in the Bible given to Abraham than any other person aside from Christ. Do you know what his claim to fame was? Very simple. He believed God. God spoke to him and he believed God. And I want to say to you this morning, every one of us can be like Abraham. He simply believed God. When we say believe God, what we're saying is that he believed God's word. What does it mean to believe God? It means to believe his word. It means to take him at his word. It means to trust him when he speaks. And we can all be like Abraham. And then the third thing we saw about Christmas is that God became a servant in Jesus Christ and came into the world to serve us. If you have too much pride to allow God to serve you, you will miss Christmas. And you will miss the peace that God intends for us to live with as a result. The Bible says that Jesus came into the world not to be served. Every other religion in the world is about how you serve God. Christianity alone is about God coming into this world to serve us. It's remarkable. It's counterintuitive. It's the opposite of every instinct that we have inside of us. When you read in the Bible that Jesus Christ was God who emptied himself and humbled himself and became a servant all the way to the cross, it's a remarkable, counterintuitive gift that God intends for us to take away from Christmas. And now this morning, um, can I just say, yeah, I, don't miss the gift of Christmas. Don't miss the gift of Christmas. The Bible calls it God's indescribable gift in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And the gift of Christmas, the gift of Christmas is nothing less than receiving the love of God. It's nothing less than experiencing the smile of God on our life. It's nothing less than God going from our judge to going to be our best friend. The gift of Christmas is the love of God. And it's what the Bible calls the good news. Here's the deal. What God requires from us, God supplies. Let me say that again. What God requires of us, God supplies. It's good news. It's the gift of Christmas. God loves you, but you can only receive and experience his love through the gift of Christmas. Uh, it's kind of like a parent, you know, who has a prodigal child, and uh, that love that that parent has can't be experienced until that child comes back to the parent. And there is a father in heaven who loves us, who loves each one of us, but that gift of his love cannot be experienced until we come to him. And we can come to him through that child who came to us at Christmas time. The God of the Bible is personal. It's not a force. The God of the Bible is not impersonal. He's a person. Our Father, who art in heaven. The God of the Bible is personal. And the Bible says that you and I were made in his likeness. You and I were made in his image. And the God of the Bible is a speaking God. He's not silent. Uh, Isaiah chapter 45, listen to this. Uh, For this is what the Lord says, who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it, 
He did not create it to be empty. He did not create it to be empty. But he formed it to be inhabited, and he says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Now listen, I have not spoken in secret. It's not like I'm trying to hide. It's not like I've been silent. I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in a land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. The personal God of the Bible is a speaking God, and he holds us accountable for what we do with what he says. Do we, like Abraham, listen and believe what God is saying? Uh, Do we listen like Abraham? Last week, from Hebrews chapter 1, we saw that the Bible says, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son, Jesus Christ, who came into the world. And we are accountable. Do we believe God's word? And that's all that God asks. Do we believe him? And again, like a parent, right, Uh, who uh, says to their child, listen, don't touch the stove. I love you. It's hot. You'll get burned. Or don't cross the railroad tracks. When the lights are blinking, Metro North is your friend. A train is coming. Or uh, more recently for all of us, you know, uh, if you come at cross a detour sign in the road, it probably means there are wires in the road. Go around. Don't try to come through. All of those are warnings to us, messages to keep us safe. And the God of the Bible is speaking to us all the way through, giving us these kind of warning signs. There are many places in the Bible that warn us about a place called hell. It's a terrible place. And God and Jesus, you know, keeps warning us about it and says, listen, I love you. You don't want to end up there. I've made provision for you through the child of Christmas so that it never has to be your experience. But listen, listen to me. One of my favorite places is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where uh, the Apostle Paul writes to the church there and he says, look, don't be deceived. Whatever you do in your short little hundred years on this earth, all of eternity is at stake. So he says, look, Don't be deceived. Don't let anybody fool you. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Don't kid yourself. Don't be deceived. Don't let the world confuse you. And that is what some of you were. Past tense. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. God has a solution for our situation. God says there's a problem. There's a problem. I love you, but there's a problem. The problem is this. There's not one single person in the entire world who listens only to God. Not one person, the Bible says, who listens only to God. And uh, all people find it impossible to live by simply listening to God. And what that does is it creates a rift between us and God. It creates dissonance. It disrupts the relationship. It's what the Bible calls sin. And sin is epidemic 
in our world. And in our passage this morning in Isaiah chapter 53, there's a definition of what sin really is. In verse 6, it simply says this, we all, like sheep, you know how sheep are? They just kind of wander off doing their own thing. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. We've all done our own thing. We've turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. That's the best definition of sin that I'm aware of. It just means that instead of listening to God, I'm going to listen to myself. Instead of doing things God's way, I'm going to do things my way. And I'm going to think my own thoughts. And uh, when we go our own way, it separates us from God. We're alienated from our Father in heaven. It's a, an attempt to be our own God. Everyone, since Adam and Eve, born into this world, has this in their DNA. We're born with this disease that the Bible calls sin. And the Bible, believe it or not, actually traces everything that's wrong in this world from wars to natural disasters to interpersonal conflict to personal meltdowns, all comes back to this one single issue of not being able to live with God. And that's what he made us for. And so this dissonance, this rift, separates us from the experience of God's love. And many of us try to find a substitute then in something that God created. We try to find what is missing in another person or in workaholism or alcoholism or some other ism and so forth. And here's the deal. The problem is worse than we think. Uh, if, you just, if you have your Bibles open, Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. Here's what makes the problem so bad, okay? The problem is this. For my thoughts, God says, are not your thoughts. I don't think like you think, God says. The way you think is all wrong. My thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. This is a problem. Because God thinks one way and people think another way. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are way higher than your thoughts. And so when we think about this problem of this rift between us that there's a father in heaven who loves us and we got everybody down here who refuses to listen. Unlike Abraham who, you know, believed God, and then we think our own thoughts. Let me ask you if you don't think like this. Here's a couple of ways that I think we think that are different than the way God thinks. Number one, when it comes to sin, we categorize sin. Right? We say, hey, some sins, no big deal. Other sins, really, really bad. That's what we think. Isn't that right? And uh, most people think like that. You know, if you have a Roman Catholic background, you're actually taught this, that there are venial sins. They can be forgiven. But then uh, there are also mortal sins, and for that you're damned. And there's this thought that, you know, there's two different kinds of sin. Uh, and yet God says, no, I don't think like that at all. Here's what the Bible says. For whosoever, and I think that includes you and me, whosoever keeps the whole law, does everything God asks, yet offends in just one part, is guilty of the whole thing. That's so different way of thinking. So I'm thinking, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm just maybe a little bit off of center bubble. Right? Just a little uneven. But you know what? In God's mind, you play that out to eternity, I'm totally unacceptable. 
in God's mind. See, God's thoughts are not man's thoughts. Another way that I think we're different from God is this. We tend to blame other people or circumstances for our shortcomings. We all do this, right? We try to excuse our sin. We think, you know what? There's extenuating circumstances in my situation. And that's the reason that I don't listen to God. My boss, he doesn't pay me enough, so I stole some money. Right? My spouse, they didn't measure up in some fashion or another. You know? And God says, no, no. He says, you're refusing to listen to me in any circumstance is on you. Don't try to lay it off onto somebody else. This is a personal relationship between me and you. I'm your father, and I'm offended. Don't try to push this off on somebody else. And we think so different. God says, you know, there are certain laws that govern everything. There are planetary laws. You know, if the sun just gets a little closer to us, we're toast. Literally. If the sun moves a little further away from us, we freeze to death. There are laws that hold the universe together. There's the law of gravity. If you want to you know, walk off a 10-story building, it's not going to work. Because there are laws that govern things. Well, there are also moral laws, and laws always have consequences. And God says the consequence for our sin is death. Death. Spiritual death. Now, I understand this is hard for modern people to understand because, again, God's way of thinking is not our way of thinking. God's thoughts and God's ways are much higher than ours. And so God reveals them to us. He's a speaking God. And God says, you know what? When we sin, we, we become spiritually dead. Now, it's hard for us to understand because we say, well, you know, my body still works. My body's still alive. Yeah, but temporarily. It's only going to last a little while. I got to tell you, 100 years is nothing compared to eternity, which God made us for. So, yeah, your body's still alive, but it's on the way out. All of us who are getting older, we understand all that. Right? It's on the way out. You can't stop it. I don't care. Fountain of youth, wherever you find it, it's not going to work. And then we say, but you know what? My soul still works. My mind still works. Yeah, but your mind doesn't think the truth. Your mind leads you to confusion. You say, well, I'm still alive. I still have my feelings. My soul still works. I still have these feelings. Yeah, but your feelings make you anxious and stressful and fearful and depressed. Right? You say, well, you know, I still have my choices. Yeah, you can make whatever choices you want, but I submit to you, your choices never satisfy you. And God says, here's the reason. Your spirit is dead. I made you to live in a connection with me. And when that's dead, your thoughts, your feelings, your choices, they're all skewed. They're all off. And your body's wearing out. The consequence, God says, for the reality of what we call sin is death. God says it's because our spirit is dead that we're missing out on the whole point of why God made us, which is to enjoy God, to enjoy God. And, and so God, I think, is so loud and clear, it's hard to believe that people don't get this in our own day and age because the entire Old Testament says to us through the whole sacrificial system, sin ends in death. I mean, all kinds of animals were slaughtered for years and years and years. What was that about? It was God saying, listen, sin has to be paid for in death. And those animals become substitutes for us, whereby God covers 
the sins of people. Right? The whole lesson, I think, is unmistakable. Sin results in death. But God was willing to cover our sin. And so in the Garden of Eden, we see hints of this already, Adam and Eve's sin, and God takes animal skins and covers them up. When the Jews were in Egypt as slaves and God was going to bring them out, do you remember God brought a plague and all the firstborn kids were killed in Egypt? And God said, but if you take a sacrifice and you take the blood and you put it on the doorpost, the angel of death will pass over your house. And the Jews to this day still celebrate Passover from back in those days. And then there was one special day a year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, where God said this, I'm going to sacrifice, you're going to, the high priest is going to sacrifice a special animal and all the sins that you're not even aware of, that you're unconscious of, I'm going to put on that animal. And he's going to be like a scapegoat for all the sins of all the people. I'm going to cover those sins through the sacrifice, through the shedding of blood. And uh, if you go all the way back, God explains this in Leviticus, and uh, you've all... I think, had experience with this. You ever been to the doctor, had a blood test? About how, how much you can tell about what's going on in your life through your blood. Well, here's what God says way back in the book of Leviticus, chapter 17, verse 11. For the life of a creature is in the blood. Why did God have all these sacrifices? Well, the life of the creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. To, to make atonement is to atone for a wrong. It's to compensate for a wrong. If you do something, you know, and you go to court, an atonement is what you have to do to get things back to being right. You steal some money, you have to give it back, and hey, atonement. And God says, I'm going to take these sacrifices as atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. It's the blood that makes the atonement because life is in the blood. God's thoughts are not like our thoughts. All that bloodshed was preparation for Christmas. It was all preparation for us to meet the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Because the Bible says the blood of bulls and goats could never take away people's sin. And so he came in the person of his son at Christmas and gave us this gift that there is a way to be reconciled with God. God so loves you, the Bible says. Most people's favorite verse, God so loves the world, which includes all of us, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. Hebrews chapter 10 talks about this. I think it's uh, significant. The law, the Ten Commandments and all the laws, are only a shadow of the good things that are coming. Back in the Old Testament, when Moses gave the law and all through those, all the different, there's 653 laws or whatever, you know, uh, they're all a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. Because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will. But when this priest, Christ, the high priest, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice, 
He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Through faith in Christ, we become perfect in God's eyes, and God begins like a restoration process, making us back to the original people that God intended us to be so that we can live in heaven forever and ever. What a great God. And then he adds this, their sins and their lawless acts I will remember no more, and where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. God came into the world in the person of Christ to give his life, to shed his blood, to cover us for all of our sins. It's the gift of Christmas to send that child to be our sacrifice. But may I suggest, most people don't think like God thinks. This is so important. Most people's ways are not God's ways. Our thoughts are, again, so different from God. Most people think, and I've talked to lots of people, and I love to ask this question, if you died and stood at the gate of heaven and God said, why should I let you in here? Most people will tell you, I'm a good person. And again, that's not God's thought. There are no good persons except for Christ. Most people will tell you, you know, uh, if there is a God, uh, as long as the good outweighs the bad in my life, I'll be okay. That's a lie from hell. It's not the truth. It negates everything Christmas is about. And yet most people still operate on that premise. And again, it's not God's thought. It's not God's way. The Bible actually says there is a way that seems right to people. The end whereof is death. Hell. It's not the way. It's not God's thought. It's not God's way. And, uh, you know, then we compare ourselves to somebody like Hitler or Charles Manson, and we think, well, I'm not so bad. That's not God's thought at all. God takes our condition seriously. God says, no, no. He says, uh, in fact, in Isaiah 64, God says, all of our righteousness, all of our good deeds are as filthy rags. They're all stained with the wrong motive. They're all stained with the motive to earn our way with God, which is impossible. They're all stained with the motive to avoid allowing God to serve us in the person of Christ. They're all stained with this desire to not be humbled in the presence of God and to understand that he loves me so much that he had to make a way that the atonement for my sin is all on him. And that the only way that I can be a part of that gift is by faith, like Abraham, by believing God is telling me the truth. That's the gift of Christmas that God sent to us in the person of Christ. And this is exactly where Christmas comes in. And so I say, listen, don't miss Christmas. If you're ever going to make amends with God, it's all going to be on God. God's going to do it from his side through forgiveness and through grace. And every attempt other than that is based on listening to ourselves instead of listening to God. God sent Jesus to sacrifice his blood and to die in our place, the death we deserve. Jesus came into the world to pay a debt that he did not owe because you and I owe a debt that we cannot pay. That's why he came, and that's the gift of Christmas is the forgiveness of our debt. And so if you have your Bible, Isaiah chapter 53, 
And just allow me to read these verses because this, this is 700 years before Jesus ever came into the world. Listen to what God is telling us way before it happens. He's talking about Jesus here in verse 3. Jesus was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities. And he carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed on that cross for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep before her shearers are silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will, God's will, to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life again and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. My friends, don't miss the gift of Christmas. It's the life of Christ in exchange for yours and mine that we might live eternally in God's presence. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we need your spirit to teach us these things. They're so profound. They're so different than the way that we normally think. Your way is so much higher than our way. And as we think about Christmas and you sending your son to become our sin and to go to that cross so that you could give us the gift of forgiveness by your grace, and so, Father, my prayer this morning is that you would make us all like Abraham, that we would believe you, and that we would experience new life, that the reality of peace with you, that the reality of your smile on our face, the reality of your love exploding in our hearts and us taking the rest of our life to understand it and believe it. Oh, Father, I pray that you might give us a sense of just how much you love us and that this Christmas we would open up our hearts so that you, Father, could accomplish your purposes for which you created us. And in that process, may we enjoy you forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen.